Thank you for listening to this teaching from the prayer room. For more teachings, notes, downloads, or to subscribe to our podcast, as well as information about who we are and our upcoming events, visit our website at tprdfw.com. All right, well, we are in our Developing a Forerunner Culture series. Tonight is session 10, Sustained Tenderness of Heart. And uh, as we kind of give a little intro here, uh, I want to talk about our journey to this point and a little bit of how it relates even to the Forerunner Calling. Um. I don't think that this series, you know, we're doing 14 sessions on developing a foreigner culture. There could probably be 100 sessions. I I don't know. I'm just, I just picked 14 that I felt like really captured the heart of what I think brought TPR to the point that we're at today related to our culture. Not so much related to our schedule or related to our, our prayer model, but related to the culture of who we are and how we operate and what we value and and what we're trying to live out. And then all of that impacts our prayer meetings and our teachings and our internships and everything else. But so my my point with that is simply, I don't think that these 14 messages are like the magic formula for how you get a forerunner culture. I think this is how we got a forerunner culture is these particular focus points. This is what helped form us into the prayer remissions base today. And we have a forerunner culture. And so uh, that's, I just want to kind of keep saying that because others might go, man, we haven't really spent any time on the end times at all in relationship to this. I'm, I'm more after the culture and less after our message. Uh, there's a time to talk about our message. I'm really talking about what's in the DNA that is, that has created this culture the way that it is today. And, uh, and so, um, I think that, the way that we've gone about this, and specifically related to this concept of focusing on having a tender heart before the Lord, I just say it this way, it's impossible to live the pace, the radical pace and requirement of the forerunner calling without a tender heart. Because you won't make it, you'll burn out, you won't last very long at all, and forerunners that forerun for 15 minutes and then are gone are not very helpful forerunners. So the concept of sustained tenderness of heart is an essential subject. It's, it's kind of a prerequisite to even being able to do it as a lifestyle in any sort of a long-term way. We don't just want to start the race strong. We want to live it strong and finish strong. But we can't be useful to God. Hear me on this. We can't be useful to the purposes of God if our own hearts aren't well-oiled. If our own hearts aren't tender before the Lord. And so uh, life without a tender heart is, is, is abysmal. Life without a tender heart is, is grueling and painful. Whether you're on an assignment for the Lord or you're, you don't have a sense of your assignment from the Lord. To not live with a tender heart is not how we were created. But it just so happens that a tender heart is a difficult thing to have, and in some ways, because of the pace of life that the forerunner calling requires, a tender heart has to be even more intentionally sought after, because you've kind of got a whole lot of things going on. I just just want to tell you, forerunners are busy, because they also, if you live in America, you also have to like pay your bills, and you also probably have a family, and you also have all the other things going on. And then you've got the, all the details of a foreigner calling. So the concept of a tender heart sustained for decades uh, is an essential subject matter, uh, in my mind, to foreigner culture. And it's for sure one that we have fought for around here. Well, we're going to approach this subject of a tender heart sustained 
We're going to come at it from a number of different angles. The first one that we're going to start with in a moment is a devotional life of prayer. That's because that's a, a big piece. But before we do that, I want to give a little bit of an overview of what we're talking about here. First of all, pride is the great obstacle. A tender heart, perhaps the greatest obstacle. I'm not going to say it's the only. We'll touch on a couple others. But probably the greatest obstacle to a tender heart is pride getting into our heart, keeping us from being tender. And you can't be both tender and prideful at the same time. It didn't work that way. It's a, it's a real uh, conundrum. It's a real difficulty. And the problem is, all of us are, are uh, prone to pride. It might show up in different ways. Some people pride, they kind of wear it on their chest as they stick their chest out, as, as they carry themselves, they carry themselves very pridefully. Others don't carry themselves in that way, but have got the same operational issue of pride going on in the interior. It just manifests in a different way and maybe is masked a little bit differently. And so people maybe don't see it as, uh, as obvious, but it's the same result. If we've got pride in our heart, it is holding us back from a tenderness before the Lord. So just reading 1 Peter 5, 5, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. We're going to look at a number of verses that talk about this subject, but I just want us to recognize the issue of a tender heart. And I don't want to just mean in general, I mean in this second. You can't have a tender heart this second if you have a prideful heart this second. It just so happens seconds add to minutes, to months, to years, to decades. And so the truth, it's, it's true in a second and it's true for a lifetime that you can't operate in both at the same time. And so it's a real issue that we want to we wanna look at as the enemy of tenderness. Not the only, but for sure a big one, maybe the biggest. Now, the kindness of the Lord, this is a little bit of a, this is a, little bit of a, uh, a trap if we uh, misinterpret it. And I just want to say, I think that the majority of Christians misinterpret the way that we're supposed to carry ourselves in tenderness before the Lord. Tenderness before the Lord is not supposed to be an occasional thing you touch. It's supposed to be a lifestyle you live in. Now, here's the trap. The Lord in his great kindness will give us, even if we're so off, even if we're operating in pride, all sorts of issues, the Lord in his kindness will on occasion allow us to touch tenderness. Little moments where you're in worship and your heart gets tenderized, you start to weep just a little bit. Little moments where you, you feel the conviction of the Lord and you respond a little bit. Little moments of tenderness. But I don't want us to mistake the Lord's surgical work on us in a moment for our participation, partnership, and pursuit of tenderness. Because those are not the same things. I think what's happening is the Lord's actually giving us an invitation in those moments. The Lord is saying, hey, don't you want to feel like this all the time? Don't you want to live before me in this heart posture? Not visit it on occasion. Don't you want to live there? Don't you want to dwell with me in a tender heart, in a, in a posture of humility? And I think those moments where he breaks in on us, on our stony hearts, and he gives us a mercy gift. He gives us a, a moment of sobriety and, and, uh, where our hearts are soft before him for a minute. We, we find ourselves encountering him in tenderness, recognizing our sin you know, contrite for, for a few moments, but not because we did it, because he in his kindness did it to us. We don't want to live for those moments, moment to moment, like the, the spans of 10 years, we have that happen six times. What a horrible existence that was not the intention of God for us. And I just want to tell you, those moments are supposed to be wake-up calls and invitations, not the few and far between reality. We are to live this way. We want to live responsive. Well, I want to just read the, a couple of verses here. Um, so uh, Ezra, I'm sorry, Ezekiel. Ezekiel 36, 26 talks about, I recognize the, the wholeness of what's going on in this passage it has a lot more to do with the Lord turning the nation of Israel to him. It then even as a sub, 
you know, meaning of the Lord turning a lost heart to him, but it absolutely applies in the day-to-day and uh, the, you know, the rare moments as well. Those moments where the Lord breaks in and he does something out of the ordinary, where he does a sovereign work in our heart. And again, we just don't want those to be the rule for us. 36, uh, 26, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove you uh, from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I am so grateful when the Lord, you know, uh, whacks me upside the head in order to get my attention. But we don't want the the sole expression and experience of having a tender heart to be when God comes and says, "I'll put something in you. I'll do something to you. I will come and break in on you in a way that." You weren't even looking for or wanting. We want that to be uh, those wake-up call moments as opposed to the way that we live our life. Instead, we want to live responsive. We don't want to wait for God to have to do something to us violently that was so outside of our normal pattern. We've been operating in pride, operating in pride, and then he breaks in in tenderness for a moment to give us a chance to, to save our own heart from, you know, from all sorts of uh, problems. We want to live responsive. Look at 2 Chronicles 34, 27. I think just really just captures what we want our heart posture to be all the time. Look at this, 2 Chronicles 34. Because your heart was responsive, And you humbled yourself before God. You notice the difference? In Ezekiel, it was God doing something to us. Here in uh, 2 Chronicles, it's now God saying, because you did something to yourself. He says this, because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before God when you heard what he spoke against this place and its people, And because you humbled yourself before me and you tore your robes and you wept in my presence, I have heard you, declares the Lord. We want to live in the spirit of this all the time. Where we're responsive, where we're looking to the Lord and we're we're looking for his feedback and encouragement and for his, his scooting along. We want to live in this part posture. I just want to encourage you, find verses like this one and try to pattern your thought processes after them. Try to pattern your heart response, pattern your days to to ask yourself the question, where am I at in this? Am I in the Ezekiel 36 where God has to do something outside of my pattern or am I living in the pattern of 2 Chronicles 34? Just kind of start to ask yourself that question. Well, not just towards the Lord, but towards each other. We'll touch on this a little bit more here in a few minutes. But I just want to say this out of John 13, 34. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. This is Jesus trying to help us to be tender to one another. You could interchange those two words in this context to a good degree of being tender towards your brother or loving your brother. That's not not the full picture, but it's a significant part of what it means to love our brother. And we've got to be tender towards others. We've got to learn to operate in a tenderness in in our tone, in our affections. This is a significant piece of planet Earth because God is the one that set it up to where he knew we were going to have to interact with one another, and he knew we would bug each other. He knew that if I make this one this way with this personality, and God gave them that personality, and if I make this one this way with this personality, and God made this one completely 100% opposite from that purpose per- person on purpose, and now I'm going to let them find each other in a ministry context, and they're going to need to serve together, and everything about the other one grates against the other one. And God did it on purpose. He says, now, operate in tenderness towards one another. Well, Lord, if you just wouldn't have made them that way. You know they're at home saying the same thing about you right now. We've got to learn to operate in tenderness to one another. It's so important. It's it's the character of God being released through us. When we operate in tenderness towards those that bug us. When we operate in tenderness towards those that, for whatever reason. It's an important detail. And it's something I just think about our culture around here, running so hard, so many responsibilities, 
You know, the more responsibilities you have, the more likely you are to drop the ball from time to time, the more likely you are to forget stuff from time to time, and the more likely you are to be irritable at just the wrong moment because you have so many moments you're on point. It's easy to have a good attitude when you're on point once a week at church Sunday morning. But that's the only time all week. But if you're in this crazy rhythm, you've got all sorts of opportunities. And so there's a requirement that this ministry operates with tenderness towards one another because there's so many moments that we're going to need it from one another. There's just so many moments. So I just, we'll talk more about that, but just we'll kind of, you know, pause there. It's important that we have tender hearts towards God and towards each other. All right. Now, how do we do this whole having a tender heart before the Lord for decades thing? Well, it starts with a devotional life because you won't have any oil in your lamp if all you've got is a rule, be nice. And you're just supposed to be the nice person all the time. You can't do that without the oil of the Holy Spirit lubing your heart and soul without a genuine devotional life because your tenderness to others really is an expression of your encountering God's tenderness towards you. And so you've got to be fueling yourself on God's tenderness, you've got to have a real devotional life. Now, I want to make a distinction between a devotional life and an intercession life. We're coming up, we haven't really made any announcement about it yet, but we're coming up on a a 21-day fast that we're going to do around here, uh, that we're going to be in partnership with what's going on in IHOP Kansas City. And it's going to probably be the most intense time of intercession and fasting we've ever had as a ministry. I would just anticipate it's going to be the most pressing in in the place of intercession that this ministry has ever been in, uh, in the history of our ministry. And it's going to be pretty intense. I want to tell you the difference between an intercessory prayer life and a devotional prayer life. As a rule, we have built this ministry on the concept of a devotional house of prayer that has some intercession. You could flip-flop that, and I know other locations that have, where their primary focus is an intercession, a house of intercession, and then we intersperse a little bit of devotion. We have on purpose made this house of prayer primarily a house of devotional worship lifted to the Lord with intercession sprinkled into that so that we get to touch the place of intercession too because it has a great value, incredible value in the kingdom. But here's the thought process. We primarily want to be lubing the heart. We primarily want to have a posture of sitting before the Lord, both as a ministry and as individuals, where we're encountering Him, where we're looking to Him, where we're feeling His presence, where we're feeling His affections, where we're telling Him that we love Him instead of always asking Him for stuff. We also ask Him for stuff. But I'll just tell you, you know, being a parent... It's a, it's a lot easier to handle my kids asking me for stuff when they've been real sweet to me. They've been loving me, and they've been giving me back rubs and foot rubs and knee rubs. I don't know. I've never had a knee rub, but maybe we can work that in. Um, and then they come and ask me for stuff. It's, it's my delight. But if all our relationship with God is, is God give this, God do this, God I decree this, we actually have a very shallow prayer life. I want to say that real clearly. If our prayer life is primarily intercession, we actually have a very shallow life in God. We have got to have a devotional life that then we can even discern clearer because we know him better. What should we even be asking? And what should we not be asking that we would have been asking if we didn't have a devotional life because we would have been doing it by just rote, just script. We would have just been doing it because that's what Christians do. But a person that operates in a devotional prayer life has greater insight even to what to intercede for. And so it's important that we have a devotional prayer life. Look at Job 11. I just like this verse. I like it. Yet if you devote your heart to him and stretch out your hands to him, you will stand firm and without fear. Life will be brighter than noonday and darkness will become like morning. Look at this. I'm going to say it a little differently. If you have a genuine devotional prayer life with God, your hands lifted out to him, you'll stand firmer in your life. You'll operate with less fear. You'll operate in a clear identity of who you are. Life will be brighter for you. Just your days will be better. And even difficulties 
will pale by how they were when you didn't have that operational devotional life because your perspective was so wrong. It was so, it was so natural-minded. It was so earth-minded. But when you have a devotional life in operation, it does all this cool stuff. This is great. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, Colossians, uh, Paul says in Colossians. I, just, I love these verses talking about what it means to have a, a devotional prayer life. This is all David ever wanted. This is the reason he made a vow when he was a kid. It's the reason he spent his whole life you know, uh, in, in just the posture of trying to see to it that God had a dwelling place built. It's the reason that when he became king, the first thing he did was make sure uh, that uh, the Ark of the Covenant had a 24-7 prayer and worship environment around it. Half of it was just selfish reasons because David wanted a house of prayer and David wanted to be able to go to the house of prayer every day. So I gave you Psalm 27.4, the words of David, one thing I ask, only do I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. David wanted it. This was David's primary objective was to have a devotional life. He wanted, he's like, I'll be a lot better king if I have a devotional life. I'll be able to figure out a lot of things in life if I just have a devotional life. I just want a devotional life. He's like, I'll go to war. I'll go out and do stuff. I'm a musician. I'll, I'll do a lot of different things. But really my heart is that I would have a devotional life all my days. The beautiful example that we were given in the life of David. Well, we want to reach for a perspective shift. Just give you some ideas about a devotional prayer life isn't only about having a prayer time in the morning. I think that's a great starting place. But a shift in perspective is you're living for moments that you can spend with him. You're living for those moments and you're looking for them. Change the focus of situations to be about encountering him. You're in the middle of a situation and a devotional life says, how can I encounter you right now in the middle of this conversation, in the middle of this, in this situation, in this circumstance? How can I do this? What could this look like? Fellowshipping with God in all the in-betweens of life. From a meeting on your way to another meeting. You're here, you're doing something there. Where you're looking for opportunities. Where you're trying to the, fill the gaps of the day. Looking for Him in everything and decide to find Him there. God, I'm looking for you in this meeting. I'm looking for you in this conversation. I'm not just in a conversation. I'm not just at a place. I'm not just doing a thing. I'm looking for you in it, and I'll find you here. Those are some significant devotional commitments that go beyond a prayer time in the morning to jumpstart your day, which again, I think is an excellent starting point. Got to make a plan. You're not going to have a devotional prayer life on the go you're not going to have a devotional prayer life just because you commit to being in this room a lot. I think that's a really good start because you kind of hem yourself in. If you go to the grocery store, more than likely you're going to come out with some groceries. If you go to a prayer room, more than likely you will have prayed a little bit while you were there. I mean, I, I, there's a good starting point, but you've got to have an action plan. Like, what are you going to do to grow your devotional prayer life? Because it won't just happen magically. And I think without one, you become a dried up plant. I was thinking about this earlier. I didn't have any language for it, but I just was thinking about this. Happy old people have tender hearts. Angry old people have hard hearts. But they may well have been a really happy 20-year-old. But time went on. I want to be a really happy old person if I get to live that long. I really I want my heart to be tender because it's the subject of a tenderness of heart that makes or breaks a person over time. I've just seen so many. And you look at them when they hit certain ages and it's like, man, you, your heart's not tender, you're not happy, and you're not pleasant to be around. How did that happen? Because they were probably just like you or me in their 20s and 30s and whatever's. Maintaining a soft heart for decades. This is, my, this is my goal. This is my pursuit. I can say this honestly. I have a more tender heart today at 42 than I did at 22. It is more tender and it's not accidental. I mean, I am, I am after a tender heart. I want it. I want God to, to correct my thoughts. I want him to, to, to help me and reprove me. 
I want him to strengthen me. I want him to catch me when I'm about to say something sharp. I, I want to be repentant when I do. I want to live that way. It's got to be a lifelong pursuit, maintaining a soft heart for decades. I think, again, I think the greatest uh, um, heart posture, the greatest, the greatest snag, the greatest flag, warning sign that we can pay attention to, to keep a tender heart, is to be aware of pride's presence. To be aware of pride in me. If mostly we're witch hunting pride in other people, you probably got something going wrong with you. You should be looking for pride, but you're looking in all the wrong places. <laughs> you you want to be looking for pride in you, in the little attitudes of the heart, in the little statements. Uh, just something I've been learning. You can say a statement with pride or stay a, say a statement without pride, and maybe nobody knows. But you know in your heart how you're carrying it. I, so I don't think it's so much what we say. <laughs> I think it's more how we carry our heart in the middle of it. And so I want to encourage us, like, let's live aware of pride's presence in our life and fight. James 4, 6, another one of those great pride verses. He gives us more grace. That's why the scripture says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. I want to be one who he shows favor to. And I don't get the favor of God on my life by living neutral or living prideful. I get the favor of God by living humble. Think about that. To be aware of that. It, it, who cares if you won the argument? <laughs> like, what, did you get God's favor or did you oppose it? What happened in, in that conversation, in that interaction? Did you look really cool? Did everybody praise you and applaud you? But really what was going on in your heart was you were a sponge absorbing that pride? Or in that moment, did you have the same moment and they applauded, but you weren't after their applause? And in the moment, you were actually going, God, I don't really care about their applause. I, I just want to love you and get the favor of God on your humility. It's not about what happens outwardly. It's about what happens inwardly. You can have the favor of God in this situation, this situation, this situation, or by default, you can deflect it like crazy. By default, the norm is deflect the favor of God because it is not normal because we still have a sin nature. It is not normal to us. It is not the native plant in this soil for us to operate in humility. Native is pride. Oh, I don't want that. <laughs> we got to maintain a soft heart for decades, and I think it's being aware of pride's presence, knocking at the door all the time, in our interactions, in our motives, all the stuff in there. And the Lord says, I see you, and you can't fool me. Honestly, if everyone thinks you're prideful, and I know you're not, you'll get my favor. It's like, you, I'm not looking at the way people look at things. I look at the heart, and I see into your heart your pride and your humility. Let's run after humility. Oh, Lord. Part of that is living teachable. It is so important that we be teachable, that we be, we be slow to speak, quick to listen, that we would hear that when someone corrects you, that's free advice. It's free opportunity to grow in God. Because you know what? Whatever they say, and I'm still in this one straight from Mike Bickle, whatever they say, there's going to be an ounce of truth in it. And maybe that ounce is 99% of what they said. Maybe it's just 1%. Why waste that 1%? Why waste it? Why not instead look at that 1%? They spoke so much venom and lies and unfruitful. They said it in the wrong way and they were so mean and dumb. And 1% of what they said was gold. Find that 1% and ask the Lord. Lord, reprove me. Help me. Help me. You know, the Lord will give grace to the humble person and he will resist the prideful one. 
How many times I've walked out of a situation where somebody said something and I'm like, they are so dut, 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 dut. And I'm like, you are losing the favor of God right now as you continue that statement, Brad. You are losing it as you speak. You could just humble yourself and you get more God and have a good day. <laughs> Wouldn't you rather have a good day than a bad day? Let me tell you how you can control your day when someone comes at you. Humble yourself. Your day will be great. If you don't humble yourself, you stick your shoulder into it, you're guaranteed to have God resisting you and be grumpy the rest of the day. What a horrible way to live. Horrible. Well, they came and they did this thing. They said and they were teaching me something that I already know. It's like, yeah, I think we probably just need to humble ourselves before the Lord. I mean, wouldn't you rather have a good day? Just for selfish motives, wouldn't you rather have a good day? I guarantee you a good day if you'll humble yourself. But if you stick your shoulder into it, and that's what we do, that is our norm. They said this, how dare they? Oh, man, I just, I don't want to be how dare they. I'd rather be, all right, well, Lord, teach me something. I mean, David let that fool throw rocks and dirt at him. Just throwing crud at him. He's like, who knows? Maybe the Lord sent him, he said. Oh, my gosh. That's radical humility right there. Anybody else would have seen that dude killed that moment. Like, he's the king of Israel. He can do whatever he wants. He's like, nah, just let him throw rocks and dirt at me. And all the men show up worn out, it says. They were worn out because dirt and blood. It's in my eyes. I'm going to get out again. I can't see. I'm tripping over a rock that wasn't there a minute ago. I wore out. Man, I just don't want to live with that other thing. He mocks proud mockers, but shows favor to the humble and the oppressed. He mocks proud mockers. Who are you to tell me? Who are you to teach me? Who are you to speak that to me? And God goes, I'm going to mock you, proud mocker. But you could have a good day if you wanted to, if you just humble yourself. Oh. Oh, okay. This command is a lamp. This teaching is a light. And correction and instruction are the way to life. Correction and instruction. It doesn't even say if you need it or not. What if the correction and the instruction, let me go with me on this. What if the correction and the instruction have nothing to do with you learning the lesson they want you to learn? What if it has everything to do with practicing humility so you can get more of God? What if that's all that's really supposed to be happening? What if they're correcting you and instructing you about something that legitimately heaven would go, yeah, they said something kind of stupid. But the point wasn't for you to learn what they were teaching you. What if the point was for you to operate and practice humility? Whoa. Because correction and instruction are the way to life. They're the way to life. We've got to be teachable. Living soft-hearted towards one another. <laughs> I was getting ready for this, and I, I, had a, I had a thought that I'd never thought before. I don't know if it was the Lord or not, but it felt good to me. <laughs> Living soft-hearted to one another. You know, we've got this idea that when someone does something wrong to us, that we can compartmentalize harboring some sort of anger against them or resentment or maybe we you know mask it and dress it up and we just say we just say yeah I, i'm just a little upset with that person maybe maybe that's all we say about it but in our heart really what we're doing is we're compartmentalizing this is how we think we're doing it we're compartmentalizing i have something against that person i am really upset about that person i am not wanting to show tenderness to that person and i don't feel like i was dealt with tenderly and we're compartmentalizing that we've got some place to hold some aggression, a grudge, anger. I'm a little mad at them. I'm a little sad at them. Whatever version we would use to Christianize it. Here was the revelation I had. We only have one heart. So if we want a tender heart before the Lord, we can't possibly at the same time have a not tender heart towards a human. There's only one heart. There's, there's no compartmentalization. It doesn't work that way. If we want a tender heart before the Lord, we can't have a non-tender heart towards a human because it's the same one heart. And the heart is either tender or it isn't. <laughs> so 
We, it's, it's the kindness of the Lord that we would get over our stuff with each other. It's essential. It's essential because if our objective is to have a tender heart, but our heart's locked up because we're mad or sad or whatever at somebody, we can't have a tender heart before the Lord. Not until that gets dealt with. What if we're wasting weeks or months or years of our testimony before the Lord as being ones that walked with God humbly all their days? What if the testimony can't be said all their days except those six weeks back in 2023? What if we're wasting weeks and months or even years by having some non-tenderness that we're holding on to in our heart towards a human, towards another person that probably legitimately did something? I mean, I'm not saying they didn't. I'm just saying, would you want to have a good day or you want to have a bad day? I mean, it's like, you, you, it's up to you. Well, they did this. Okay, well, camp out there, proud marker, mocker. If you camp out there, you're going to have a bad day and God will resist you. Well, yeah, but it's their fault. Doesn't even matter. God's like, we've got to learn to operate in tenderness towards one another. That one, that's an that's a internal situation. Something happens, somebody does something, and in our heart, we begin to harbor some sort of resentment or something along those lines, and the Lord's like, clean it out, get tender. But now let me give you a different situation. Now we're going to talk about outward circumstances that the enemy aims. And, I, you know, sometimes he's a sharpshooter with a sniper rifle, and he's just trying to aim something specific at you. And sometimes he's just shooting shotguns all over the place and just crud is hitting you and it wasn't even aimed at you it was just aimed at humans and you're the human that walked in the spread of fire either way we get hit by stuff that are external circumstances and now we've got a choice because the circumstance is is aimed at me in such a way that i'm going to lose my peace let me give you another thought process now we're talking about the peace of god okay if you are operating in not the peace of god you're distracted and can't be operating in tenderness of heart if you don't have the peace of God, you're probably mostly thinking about that thing instead of thinking about tenderness before the Lord. When you don't have the peace of God, you can't think right, operate right, and do right. But circumstances all day and all week long deal a, a fit against your peace. You have to fight for peace. You have to learn to deflect the ache, the slime, <clears throat> the ache of things that are trying to take your peace. I, just think about this for a second. When was the last time you were all anxious and in that moment you were feeling tenderness before the Lord? Never. Right. So what if you're all anxious for a whole day or a week? You're not operating in tenderness before the Lord. You let your peace go and now you can't operate in that tenderness. But the peace, kind of like the forgiveness thing a minute ago, the peace is actually within your control. You just have to stop thinking about the bad man. I got fired. I'm all anxious. Stop thinking about that. Ask God for the peace of God, which transcends all understanding to guard your heart and mind in Christ. This, my neighbor's mean. Stop thinking about the mean neighbor. Instead, ask God for the peace of God, which transcends all understanding to guard your heart. Do you know what guard your heart and your mind it's a guard, it's a bodyguard standing outside of your heart and your mind who's bumping up against anything that's trying to come in so you can have peace, so you can have God. So you can have tenderness. You can't be tender before the Lord if you don't have the peace of the Lord and you might point at a circumstance and the enemy is throwing a fit. He is so happy. He is having a party. Every time we point to a circumstance and say, that's why I don't have peace because of that circumstance or that person or that day of the week. That's why I don't have peace. And the enemy's like, awesome, we got them. We got them totally pinned because now they have completely submitted themselves to be victims of their circumstances. Instead, we go, circumstance, line up. I'm going to get the peace of God which transcends all circumstances, all pain, all issues. It's not the peace of you because you're smart. It's the peace of God who's bigger than your problem. The joy of the Lord can be our strength, not the joy of me can be my strength. 
The peace of the Lord can guard my heart, not the peace of bread. We have access to things from heaven to help us fight the things of hell. We come up against the things of hell all the time. You can't operate in a tender heart if you don't have the peace of God on your life. And you need to fight for that peace. And I'll just tell you, sometimes that might be a real fight. It's a fight worth fighting. we got to master our pride. Look at this. I'm just putting 1 uh, yeah, Corinthians 9.27 in here because I think it's a great verse related to the way we need to approach our pride. I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. The idea of pride in our life and us approaching that pride from a standpoint of, I will overcome you. You will not win. You're a bad, bad man, and you need to go. The only way to fight pride is to resist it, not get plowed over by it. You've got to look at it, identify it, and say, I am going to beat my body into submission. I'm going to beat my thoughts into submission. I'm going to beat my tongue into submission. I'm going to beat my repentance into submission. Because I want God in my life. I want to encounter him. And I recognize that pride is a formidable adversary. I just, I want us to understand what we're talking about today. It's holy, violent war. I mean, this stuff is not easy. I'm not, I don't want to make it sound like, oh, you just do this and it's easy. What if it's really, really hard? It's still worth it. Again, you can have a good day or a bad day, <laughs> but you can't be operating in all this bad stuff or any of this bad stuff and at the same moment have tenderness before the Lord. I want to live tenderly before the Lord for decades. I want to be one of those old dudes that people just walk past and go, well, aren't you a sweet little thing with no hair? You know? I mean, I just, I, I just want to be, I want to just gush with humility and love and the affection of God and, and loving people. And, and you're, we're not going to get there by default, and we're not going to get there probably without a real fight. Here's some deterrents. I want to encourage you. If you want a tender heart, say no to these common deterrents. Anxiety. Anxiety is a huge distraction that keeps you from being at peace in your heart. Anxiety. Anger. Anger knots up your heart. Can you just feel that? Anger. You get all knotted up. You know what I'm talking about. You are not feeling God at all. You're feeling something else. Unforgiveness, resentment destroys you and at the same time as destroying you, God says he won't forgive you your sins. That's what the Bible says. You don't forgive others, God stops forgiving you yours. Oh my gosh, it's got to be the dumbest thing I could ever do is have un unforgiveness. Yeah, but they just cut off both your arms. Okay, I want to be the guy with no arms who's got a humble heart. I want to have a good day with no arms. No, I'm going to be in unforgiveness. They really did me wrong. They did something really, really bad to me. It's your funeral. You can have a good day or you can have a bad day. Judgment. When you judge others, you make yourself better than them. When we see somebody and they do something different than we do, they think different, they whatever different, and we go, man, that's, that's dumb or bad or small or less than. What we do is we raise ourselves in pride to a place of superiority because they don't do it like I do. I do it the right way. They are lesser than me. I just want us to know what we're doing when we judge someone. That's what's happening. We're putting our place in a place of superiority. And the Lord's like, hey, I know that was a subtle one that you didn't really feel, but congratulations, I'm currently resisting you. And I know you're all smug because you think you're cooler than them. And the Lord's like, congratulations, you're the least right now disobedience. You can't be in right standing with God when you disobey. You've got to deal with areas of disobedience. You can't operate in that. <laughs> we all make mistakes. Those mistakes must be repented of. They must be repented of. I, I, uh, I heard a uh, testimony. I was talking to a, a friend and uh, it was a minister. And the minister was talking about, yeah, this couple, uh, they'd been living in immorality uh, but it's okay, they got married now. And I said, they must repent of their immorality. He said, why? They're married now. He said, because they, they on purpose were sinning, 
and they didn't repent of it. The fact that they got married, good, that means they're not sinning today, but it doesn't deal with all the backlog. They must repent of their immorality because that stuff doesn't just go away because we change our activities. There must be repentance. Th that's likened to a person who, just, who hears about Jesus and instead of repenting, just starts acting good. It doesn't do anything. Forgiveness comes from the Lord through repentance. So there's got to be repentance. Jealousy, being ungrateful for what you have is an accusation against God. This will keep you from having a tender heart. I'm just, think about this. When was the last time you were jealous? And in that moment, you're jealous. They've got this thing. I don't have this thing. Their, their thing is cooler and taller than mine. I wish my thing was that tall. And in that moment, you were feeling a tender, ooey, gooey, warm moment with Jesus. Never. Jealousy is a trap. Furthermore, it's an accusation. Because what jealousy is, is you're saying, because no one else knows what's going on in your head. What jealousy is saying is, what you've given me is insufficient. What you've given them is better. God, you don't know what right is. Right would be to give me that thing that they've got. Jealousy, it's an indictment against God. About our circumstance, about what the good father has given us being insufficient. I, I mean, that, you can't be operating in accusation against God at the same time feeling tender like you're in his lap. I mean, it's, it's incredible, this pain. Busyness. This one maybe you don't, you don't think so much about how this plays into a tender heart, but if your mind is constantly reeling, you can't connect with the Lord. Connecting with God isn't just sitting down and playing a prayer meeting, pretending to read your Bible. Like if your mind is reeling, and we all know what that's like, we have got to learn to get some control of our schedules and our lives because if you have so much busyness in your life that your mind is constantly reeling and you've not figured out how to get your mind to stop reeling and you sit down to have an encounter with God, you sit down to read the word, you sit down to pray, you sit down to have an encounter with the Lord, you, you get nothing. You, time is wasted and in time, you'll stop doing the prayer activity because it didn't work. But it wasn't that it didn't work. It's that you were so busy and your mind was so busy. You've not figured out yet how to reel that thing in. So the time felt fruitless, but it actually has way more to do with all that's going on in the rest of your life and your day and in your thought processes. This is one I've really had to look at as, as I've gotten busier. Because boy, because 42, Brad at 42 is, is busy, Brad. There are things I have to stop doing at certain times in order to slow my pace. There's stuff I've got to stop doing, not do, intentionally like shut it all off so that I can go to sleep. Because if I don't sleep, then I can't do my stuff. There's things I've got to do that I'm like, I just can't possibly take one more thing, return one more email. I just can't. Right now, I can't. In order that I can actually operate with a tenderness before the Lord, because if I'm constantly going, constantly, from this activity to this thing, to this thing, to this thing, to this thing, constantly, my mind is reeling. And now I go into my prayer meeting, and I can't pray. I've got a hundred things I'm trying to decompress in order to just be able to find God a little bit. I don't like that feeling. So I'm just telling you, part of our objective to have a, a tender heart before the Lord for decades is we have got to address our business. Now, that doesn't mean loaf. That doesn't mean be unproductive in the kingdom. You've got to figure out some balance. I just want to tell you that balance is hard sought after. It doesn't come easy. Because the, ten the tendency is one of two things in all of our spirits. We're either going to overwork and we need to figure out how to swing back to, uh, to middle and slow down a little bit. Or we're going to underwork and be completely useless in the kingdom of God. And we've got to figure out how to get back into the middle. That's our two tendencies, one, one pendulum swing or the other, and it takes tremendous work. you got to learn God. you got to learn yourself. you got to adjust your life, adjust your schedule, adjust your thought life, figure out when you're doing this and when you're doing I want to have a tender light heart before the Lord, and I've found busyness can be a tremendous trap for me, that I can be so busy, I don't have a tender life. And it's like, nope, I am, I am not returning that text message right now. <laughs> I'm just not. I won't do it. Because I'm like, if I do, then the mind and the, no, I got, a, I got some rhythms. I'll figure this out. I'll get to it. And I just want to encourage you with that. You're going to have to figure out how to say no to some common deterrence. 
I'm going to skip the next Roman numeral. I'm going to go to part uh, five, page six. This is a term that, that we've been using around here for years. And it's such an empowering term and thought process. Because what it means is, I don't have to give much. What I give just has to be sincere and it counts. I don't, I don't have to pursue God, uh, you know, running a thousand miles an hour. I just have to pursue him one mile an hour with a really, really sincere heart if that's all I have to give. And if tomorrow I can go five miles an hour and have a really sincere reach, and if a week from now I can go, whatever, you get the picture. It's really not about the pace. It's about the sincerity of the reach. And then aligning your pace to whatever life looks like in that particular season. The superior place of our reach. We have nothing in our life in God without our reach. When I say our reach, what do I mean? I mean, God help me. And you mean it. God, I'm going to sit down and try to read and Oh God, please let this work. And you try. You're in the car and you're like, God, I just need you today. I just, I really need you. And you're trying and it's real and it's sincere and it's weak as all get out. In fact, you were blubbering it when you said it. And all you got is, God, that was a bad day. And that's it. But it, you meant it. It was real. God sees the sincerity of the reach and he says, that counts and I'll meet you there. Our victory isn't in what we accomplish, what we overcome, what we build with our hands. Our victory is how many moments of your life did you reach for God? And whatever that looked like, if it was real, it counts. You might go, man, my reach in this season is looking pretty weak. Assess the sincerity of it and not the optics. Well, actually, it, it looks pretty weak and it is pretty weak too. I, I'm just kind of going through the motions. Okay, well, stop that. Don't go through the motions. You can, you can stir yourself up. David talked about that. So awake, my soul. Awake. We actually have control over whether we're reaching or we're not reaching. So doing the motions is a start, but it doesn't work if there's not a little bit of the heart engaged in there. But you can have a genuine reach for God any second of any day. You can also just go through the motions, or you can also do no motions at all. But if you'll have a genuine heart reach, God, I really, for real, I really. You know what I try to do when I, when I teach? I try every time. I don't pray for your sake before a message. I'm going, oh, God, please let this work. Please, when I say stuff, please let something happen. And I'm actually talking to God. I'm not doing it because I'm supposed to, because that's what you do when you teach. I'm actually going, please, please touch them. Please let something happen. Please, God, please do something. And I'm doing it for me. I'm doing it, I'm, I'm doing it for you secondarily, but I'm like, I, wanna, I want something to happen. I want to touch you, and I want to touch them. You can turn any moment into a sincere reach, but you, you make that decision on your own. There are many things that we can't control. You can't control when you reach for God. You can't control whether you feel him. You can't control whether you feel God's presence today. You are not in charge of that. You can reach, but it's up to him. I mean, there's some things you can do to get for sure not encounter him. I mean, we talked about some of those. You can't control your outward circumstances. Man, for years I tried. I just like, I just gave up. That just, that train was mowing me over, over and over again. You can't control your outward circumstances. They're just going to happen. They are going to happen. You can't control that. And you can't eliminate your weakness from the equation. I'm tired. Uh, I was fasting, so now I'm a little, you know, snippy. Uh, I had something happen in my life, and I'm, I'm just, I'm feeling depleted emotionally. You can't help your weakness. It's part of the equation. But a weak person 
who had a bad day, who's not feeling God, can still reach. You can reach. And that's your victory. When you reach for God, you're winning. Whether it's a song or a prayer or a glance or a holding your tongue and you just you choose not to say it. And that was your reach. Your reach was just, yip. I'm not going to say that. I really feel like saying, God, this is my reach right now. Just count it. You can reach in any moment. I, I want to say it again. Without his presence, on a bad day, feeling weakness in every way, you can reach for God. And that's real Christianity. And that's the heart posture you want to sustain for decades. You can reach. And every time you do, God nudges an angel. Look at them down there. They're doing it again. Look at the reaching. I just imagine the angel's like, it looks kind of pathetic. <laughs> yeah, but it's real. Look, no, it's real. Look at their heart. Look at the heart. Oh, wow, there's a little boom, 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 boom. Like, yeah, it's in there. They're really reaching. And God is delighted by it. And I'll just say this, the more you reach, the more you will feel God. Oh, yes, you will. Because the word says, draw near to God. And he'll draw near to you. And that's a principle of reach. You will get more of God. So it won't be a one-sided conversation for long. If you feel like you're in a one-sided conversation with the Lord, where he's, you know, playing hide-and-go-seek, and you've been it for a long time, <laughs> I've been in those moments. You just keep reaching. You will find him. There are a few things you can control. A weak but sincere repentance counts every time. A real repentance. Doesn't have to be with sackcloth and ashes and all the outward, but if it's real, it counts. A broken reach to love him more counts. Oh, God, help me love you more. I want to. Just, I'm so busy and stuff and I'm mad about things. But I want to love you more. Help me. That counts. I want to, and you communicate it to him. Accounts. Catching our heart and thoughts wandering off counts. You catch your heart starting to go someplace. No, no, no. Lord. <laughs> you catch your thoughts. What? No, no, no. The Lord sees it and it counts. See, these are weak, weak little reaches that no one would even know are happening a hundred times a day. But God knows a hundred times a day. God knows every time. Because he sees the weak reach of the heart and he esteems it. Even asking him for help with all of this conversation we're having count. God, I'm bad at the whole message. Help. Everything Brad said, it's like, it's like he's reading my mail and I'm mad at him. Oh, God, I'm mad at him. Help me not be mad at him. Help. God, help. Prayers are great if you mean it. That's a great prayer. You don't even have to have anything after it. You just help and everything that's going on in your whatever, Lord knows. That counts as a reach. Every day, every hour, every time, every occasion, and as much as you can, reach and reach sincerely. It's a process. I'm going to read you a few more Bible verses because I think there's power on these. Oh, I know there is. Psalm 51, 17, I'm on page 7. God's pleased with brokenness. Think about this. We know he's displeased with pride. Look how he is with brokenness. You can be broken. Some of you, that's really encouraging to hear because you're like, I feel pretty broken. Take that to him. He's pleased with it. Some of you, maybe you need help and somebody needs to come at you with a sledgehammer and help break you so that you can get to that place of brokenness because the Lord's pleased with brokenness. Look at this. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh, God, you will not despise. He looks at the brokenness that we bring before him. Now, don't do brokenness without God. There's, there's no, you don't get any points for that. Do brokenness with God. Take your brokenness before him. God, I'm broken in this area, in this thought process, in this situation, in my response, in my emotions, in my body. I'm broken. I'm broken. He says, God counts it as a sacrifice when you talk to him about it. <laughs> talk to, 
You talk to God about how dumb you are, and God loves it and counts it as worship. You talk to God about how you don't have anything wrong with you, and you're awesome, and you're fine, so therefore you don't need to talk to God. God calls that pride and resists you. Just come before him with your junk. Here I am. It's messy. I'm, I've got this and this. Do you know how to process your anger? Talk to God and tell him you're angry. Now, instead of it being pride, now he counts it as a sacrifice. See, it's not like you're stuck if you're mad. It's not like you're stuck if you're sad or, or struggling with forgiveness. You're not stuck. Just don't do it on your own. Talk to God. And now all of a sudden it's sacrifice. <laughs> and the Lord's like, I love this. You did the thing. You came to me instead of hiding. This is great. Let's, let's do this. I can work with this. this. This counts. This is reach. This is victory. This is tenderness. I'd rather live tender. I don't want bad circumstances. I really don't. But I would rather have a tender heart than anything. A successful ministry, money, anything. I'd rather have a tender heart. And if you have tough circumstances, it's possible that there's some secret gifts in there to actually help you maintain a tenderness before the Lord. So I say don't waste them. Take them to the Lord. All right, the rest just says a bunch of more stuff that says the same stuff. This concludes this teaching from the prayer room. For more resources, please visit our website at tprdfw.com. Thank you.